Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have another special guest, an international guest, Minter Dial. He is an international speaker, elevator, and a multiple award-winning author. Minter is an agent of change who has worked in 12 different professions, lived in 15 different countries, authored the World War II story, The Last Ring Home, as well as three business books, Future Proof, Artificial Empathy, and You Lead. Minter, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Lance. Great pleasure. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm happy to have you, obviously. Um, maybe before we get into talking about leadership uh, as it relates to business, tell us more about your marketing education and your background. What led you uh, to study it and then eventually practice leading marketing at some of the world's largest and well-known beauty product brands? Great question, because uh, it, it was something that boggled my mind. I... I went out of university in America and I got hired in an investment bank to do marketing. I mean, all I'd done was read Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, Turgenev, and now I'm going to do marketing. I had really zippity zip, not much idea as to what marketing was. I got on the job training and little by little, I sort of started thinking that I knew a little bit about marketing. Then I, um, I started a, an entrepreneurial adventure in Washington, D.C., where I tried to help them with marketing. But that was really guerrilla marketing, you know, hand-to-hand combat, getting clients in the door, sending out flyers on cars and houses. And uh, anyway, so I ended up going to business school. And I said, all right, business school, this, I, now I'm going to learn really what is effective, efficient marketing. And I came out of that learning how to hire and fire 1,000 people and um, didn't realize that actually marketing is all about whether the Pontone color 240 is sufficiently blue or needs a little bit more green in it. And anyway, so I went to L'Oreal and let's call that the school of marketing. And, and to begin with, I was a nitwit because I've been trained on how to hire and fire a thousand people. I had a team of, oh, it was me, oh. you know, Right. So I was leading yep. myself. And then eventually I got a few, two people long way before I, I got into a position of, of, of managing a team of more than a thousand people. And along the way, I came to understand that marketing is a, a little bit of a, a hand basket with carries many things. And the thing that intrigued me the most of marketing is the concept of marketing putting the brand in your, mm. in your messaging rather than just look at the efficiencies of your open rates and, and how good you are at attracting clients, why are you attracting them? What are you attracting them to? And how are you going to build trust? Which is really what a mark, a brand is all about. Yeah. Great. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Everybody goes into, they study one thing, it kind of turns them in a different direction and, and now it's led you to here. And, and now you're publishing books about the subject. Um, well, one other thing I wanted to ask you about too, before we get kind of start talking about the leadership stuff is um, your introduction stated, you know, as it's, as it's stated, you've worked in 12 different professions. I, I'm much the same. I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. And, and one question I always get asked is how do you, how do you do all of what you do with a finite of t- finite amount of time you have 
how do you how do you do it all? Still have time for yourself and your family. Tell us about your typical morning routine and your day and how you make it all work. Well, to to just to snap on the point of twelve professions, what that I I the consequence or the conclusion of that thought is actually, I've done a lot of things, but I'm good at nothing. Mm-hmm. I have touched a bunch of stuff, from being a tennis pro to working in a zoo, an aquarium, a travel agency, and and so many different things. And I think that hopefully is my strength, a little bit of knowledge in a lot of things. And that's what I try to bring to the table. In so far as, um, oh, and so can you just tell me your question again? I <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, I know it was a lot. It was a paragraph, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so, so with, with all of those things that you do, and you're a very busy person and an author, when, when you do that many things, and I'm not saying you do them all at once, um, but how, how, do you, how do you manage all that you do even today and still have time for yourself. So maybe, maybe your typical morning, your your routine, you know, how do you make it work? Right. So uh, I get that question quite a lot of times, Lance, as well. And I I consider myself a productive individual. And part of the the manner of being productive is feeling that I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. It it sounds obvious, but Mm -hmm. once you have really cottoned on to what your purpose in life is about, the elan, the energy, the desire to do it is, is very strong. Secondly, it also allows you to parse out the things that aren't relative to what you want to do. And, and so that ability to say no to certain things is really quite useful. Two other tricks um, that I think are useful. First is, well, of course, it's more applicable to the old people like me, uh, but learn how to type, for God's sake. Mm learn how to communicate uh, quickly and, 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 uh, and adapt as, as the communications come along. Don't think, you know, in the old days, we used to have assistants and secretaries by gum. But one of the things that I learned early on was I was listening to an economist, Lester Thoreau, speak at university. And he said, all future executives, this is back in 1985, all future executives will know how to type quickly. So I, I now type roughly 80 words per minute without mistakes. And that helps me to be super productive because I don't need to, I, I can think as I type and almost type as fast as I can think, if you will. And uh, the second thing I do is I, I like visual cues in my calendar. So I'm, I'm very purposeful about having time for me. I need to resource myself and that includes sports, meditation, time to write. And also I, I code, for example, something that's really important to me, meeting new people. So that's part of how I get energized. How, do, how does Minter take care of him? Not only is it energizing to meet new people, I learn from new people. And that becomes a, a rich source of inspiration, brings me material, if you will, for all the writings that I do. And so I color my, my calendar according to certain activities, whether it's a sporting activity, travel, meeting somebody new. So I can visualize in a week have I got my week sussed? Am I on target? Am I on purpose? And those are, there's a few answers, Lance, to how I try to do what I'm doing. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly, I mean, not exactly, but a, a version of the answer I give too. And I think it's important. Um, just, some, just yesterday, somebody asked me that very same question. And I said, well, I schedule everything, even down to dates with my wife. It, it sounds a little anal at that point, but man, you're really making a concerted effort to make time for yourself and your family 
in, in that way, it's very purposeful, 100%. Um, let's talk about leadership. You're a leader, obviously. Have you always been a leader? And do you think anybody can become a leader? So I haven't always been a leader. I, I think I, I lent into it more and more through the angle of sports, where I, as a youngster, excelled in sports. And then it, it draws people to you. If you're like the person who's number one, and then you, you, you're a good performer on a pitch and you have multiple. I played rugby for 18 years of my life. And so I, I definitely think that you can learn a lot on a sports field about learning how to deal with a defeat, uh, learning how to buck up when things are going badly. And, and so I feel the parallels are, are absolutely legion. Um, you don't have to be playing at the top of the sport to get all those learnings. And I think that's uh, that's that's. Um, a good way to do it um, for me, it has been anyway. And then afterwards, I, 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 I kind of think I, that the real thing was that I saw too many bad bosses. Mm. All right, so it's easy to criticize, but what do you do? How do you do it? And, and so how do you not reproduce what others are doing? And so having observed many bosses and many really fatally horrible ones. I also had some great ones, but those you can pick up the good things. And then how do you adapt that? Yet be yourself, because it's not about adopting what everyone else does, because you still want to have your backbone, your, your sense of self. So it's about merging and mixing these things together. And little by little, I, I, came, I came up with my philosophy of, of leadership. Can everybody, can anybody be a leader? Well, I suppose if that's what they really want, and they know why they want it, yes. Anybody can. The principle that I argue for is actually you need to be a leader and leadership starts with yourself. If you know how to lead yourself, then you can show the good example and possibly lead the others. So that, yeah. that's, that's my main thesis. I, I would agree with that 100%. It, 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 um, really, personal responsibility, if you can't, if you can't clean your room, um, and if you don't start off that way, how are you going to tell anybody else to, cl to clean your room 100%? You know, one of the reasons I'm here right now talking to you, Minter, this is so interesting, is that uh, is because of a bad boss, two bad bosses, as a matter of fact. They were so bad and they were such bad leaders with the firm that it imploded in the Great Recession. And so that, that's what prompted me to start my firm and then that now this podcast with you. So uh, maybe I could, I wonder if you would be willing to share a story, not naming names or anything about maybe the worst boss and then because I feel like you, learning from those kind of people, the bad leaders, the worst bosses, and then getting this fuel in your belly because of that, wanting to not be the opposite of that, it helps out society so much. And, and, and then, then people like us are born, so to speak, born again. Maybe, is there anything you could share with us? Oh boy. <laughs> I have legion, lots of stories, really. Yep. Um, I even talk about a bunch of them without naming names, as you say. Yes. In my last book, but um, one that comes to mind uh, happened in England um, many years ago. And it, there are two things that happened. The first is I prepared this work in L'Oreal. We work night after day, really long hours, making everything spit shine perfect all the time. And my boss came in in the morning, rushed took everything that I had prepared, went into the meeting and uh, came out and celebrated everything and uh, for herself that she'd done it. And, and it, so it was a signal of, of not necessarily recognizing the work of your team. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel good about that, but I felt a lot worse when 
she later uh, took money out of my budget, used it for something to cover in another space without telling me. And then I got sunk with a, a gap in my finances. And, uh, and she didn't ever admit that. Yeah, so uh, being devious, ethics, recognition of hard work is the sort of bottom line of that particular boss nightmare she was. The other one is um, a much higher executive. Let's call him the highest executive. And uh, at the time he said, well, you know, working here, we're like family. And, and that's a pretty common refrain. But I don't know about you, but as Tolstoy said, uh, every happy family is the same, but no one happy family is alike. And uh, I can believe that his family was totally unhappy because he's a man who said, you know, he had four kids, married, um, also had two mistresses, one of whom I knew personally oh rather well. And yeah, so, uh, and, and she was not a happy camper. So the way he treated his neighbors, who I happen to know, the way he treated his mistresses and obviously his wife by extension, not exactly my type of family. So um, the point there is, is for me to be a great leader, you need to be a leader inside and out of work. That means that who you are as an individual taking a shower naked at the breakfast table with your kids, uh, with, with friends over a beer, and at work leading and, and making discussions and so on and so forth. You need to have the same integrity, the same personality, which, which includes your foibles. And, and we all have imperfections like the CEO had in spades. However, the point is that you need to be consistent with and congruent with that image. You can't pretend like, well, my personal life is just my personal life. You don't, you know, just trust me because I'm professionally good. Reality is trust is entirely personal. You feel, you smell people out mm -hmm. and, and you can't make abstraction of their personal lives. Yeah. The facades don't work. Eventually uh, the emperor wears no clothes every single time. Right. Um, so back to leadership as a leader, how does one generate energy in oneself and the team? You talked about meeting other people and what that gives you. Um, what kind of advice would you give just generally in that realm? All right. So I talk a lot about energy and I think in these days it's quite pertinent. There used to be this school of thought that as a leader, what you need to do is, is motivate everybody, infuse energy into everybody. And I think that's partly possible, but not what I would argue is the best route. The best route is to make people self-starters and generate their own energy. And the key point there is to understand what generates energy within yourself and within your team, which means you got to get to know them. You need to know what actually are personally intrinsic motivating factors and then help those to come alive. So the, uh, the, the, there are two parts to this, but they all come to one head, which is how do you help people feel fulfilled, feel that their lives and their work are meaningful? And that is about having a North Star purpose. And so it's about doing it, your work, yourself, knowing why you exist and what your legacy as an individual will be. Then with regard to your firm, whatever that firm is, what is the purpose of your firm? Not just I'm an architecture brand and I do you know, great buildings. What, what is the singular purpose of your company and how is it going to make the world better off? And you lean into that. And then, then what you need to do there is to figure out how your, single, your personal purpose overlaps with your firm's purpose. 
And, and so that, that's a whole lot of work, but it's really valuable because when you know that for your individual friends, employees working with you, you know it for yourself and you know it for the company, then it's very simple to tap into the discretionary energy because everyone knows why they're doing what they're doing. And they get mobilized around it, which allows you to overcome the shit, the challenges that inevitably happen. Because you, you're like, I'm doing this because I'm doing something big, something important. The world would be worse off if we didn't do this. And that's a highly motivating, rewarding kind of concept. Yeah. I noticed you didn't say, you didn't mention the word money. So, huh. so it, it, right? It's not about, uh, and I think that's really refreshing to hear is that in, in, in this in this world that is run by money, the almighty dollar or pound or, or whatever, um, that you didn't mention that. Uh, so can you talk about that, about why maybe that doesn't, why that, why that, why didn't that word enter in any of that conversation about motivation? All right. So I am a pragmatic individual, Lance. And um, so I want to tell you a little story about a company that I ran for four years. I had the pleasure of working in and out of the brand for basically eight years. But um, for the four years that I ran it, I really had the opportunity to live it as well. And it had a purpose. And its purpose was earn a better living, live a better life. And so that was an interesting purpose because it includes money. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, if you don't make money, you serve no purpose. So you have to make money. You have to be okay with that idea of progress and profitability. So I'm, I'm not at all anti-money. What I hope is that money becomes the consequence of your purpose. Mm-hmm. And our, therefore, genuine purpose was to live a better life. So what did that mean? Well, that meant that we needed as employees of the company, how can we live a better life? We worked with distributors who sold hair care products to salons. Those were individuals driving cars. We had roughly 2,000 distributor sales salons around, around the United States, for example. How do, how do they live a better life? Of course, earn a better living, sure. Good bonuses, make the you know their deals and all that. How do they earn a better, live a better life? And what do we mean by that? Things like, how do you make people feel better about themselves? How do you, how do you allow people to feel more confident, sleep better, be better people? How, how much, how much more powerful that is as a recompense for your work than just a check in the bank? So moving that through, we did the distributors and we had the same thing for our clients, our hairdressing salon owners and salon professionals. How can they earn a better living? Because for them, it's really important. Of course, they're entrepreneurs. How can we help them to make the money, but also to live a better life, feel better about themselves? And by being feeling better about themselves, what happens is each hairdresser has about 1,200 customers in there around them. They're touching 1,200 people and helping them to feel better about themselves. So that mission elevates the entire debate. It moves us into another space and and doesn't ignore money in that particular one, but that's not where the juice was. The juice was helping people to live a better life and along the way, earn a better living. Yeah, I love that money, Money you, you put it in the context of it's a consequence of all the success of, you know, through powerful leadership and good leadership that that's beautiful, and and obviously a a purpase like you talked about with your with your north star. Um, 
if people are listening to this and they they want to become a better leader, if they want to become a leader in general, I feel like one of the things you keep you keep mentioning is getting is that the leader should really know their self before or or, or during that process. Do you have a process or or a, a, a suggestion for how people can kind of go all the way, peel back the onion of themselves, so to speak, and figure out themselves, know themselves? So. This is a tricky and a messy process. You know, getting to know yourself, first of all, you're never going to know yourself perfectly. I certainly don't. Mm -hmm. And so you have to accept the imperfection of even the objective of trying to know yourself. But once you have identified that it's interesting, you probably even need to have a little provoking as to why you'd want to spend the time figuring out who you are. And the bottom line is that most people do not spend the time doing it and live with these characteristics that show up in a poor way in their leadership. Chips on the shoulder, lack of confidence, fear of rejection, of abandonment, or fear of failure, and all these different things that show up in the way that we lead. And so the real pleasure of getting to know yourself is that you feel more at one, more at ease with yourself. And so it's, that's a genuinely egoistic, perfect objective to have. Get to know yourself, feel better about yourself. And understanding that you have to be sufficiently self-aware about what your imperfections are. What is your dark side? And typically what we do is we kind of brush that off. You know, I'm just going to focus on my strengths. I'm good at this. That's what I'm going to do. And, uh, and then the weaknesses, well, they kind of look like a failure or a vulnerability, a, a way someone can get me. So we create this bravado. Us men in particular are really good at that. Mm-hmm. Setting up this shield. And by having this shield, we're actually distancing ourselves from ourselves. So you need to be prepared to be self-aware. Expose to at least to yourself your dark side, your imperfections. And by the way, everybody has a dark side. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like it's a, an, uh, it's certainly not an easy thing to talk about. But we need to understand that we all have an intimate dark side. And I like to glorify that somehow by saying there is beauty in mystery. Yet, just because you have a dark side doesn't mean it's okay. So uh, sometimes you need to improve. And that's something you can work on. You don't need to tell everybody about your dark side, but you need to recognize it within you. Because if you don't, it'll show up elsewhere in the way you lead. And so... First thing is to have that motivation, to spend the time. And the, the, the real tip I would add to that is try to find in your immediate circle of friends someone who's prepared to provide you the tough love, to call you out when you're working through this. Who am I? They're going to say, bullshit. That's, you know, yeah, that's, you'd like to be that way, but that's not the way you are, really. Yeah, I love that. Would you, would you... To me, I've always found that knowing your weaknesses is more important than knowing your strengths because the strengths, the strengths are easy. That's just good. That is, a lot of it comes, you know, naturally. But the weaknesses, would you, would you agree with the statement that knowing your weaknesses is also knowing your limits? Is that kind of part of that? So I, first of all, I take issue with the idea that it's easy to recognize your strengths. Okay. There are many people that don't understand that they have strengths. 
This can be from a lack of self-confidence, a lack of awareness about what is a strength. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, having chats, you know, I really am terrible at maths. Yeah, but you're really good at speaking. Oh, I just, I just blabber on. No, no, no. You're a great talker. You seduce with your stories. Oh, I didn't know. I, I say that because I think that there are many people who aren't as aware as one might think about their strengths. Limits. I, well, I think within weaknesses, the big challenge is the fear of exposure. And by not looking at our weaknesses, we are going to try to compensate for our fears that are going to come out of that. Are they our limits? Well, frankly, I may not be a, a good uh, baseball player, but if I tried it, I'm, I'm bad at it. Mm-hmm. I've never played, but have I tried? And what's stopping me from trying? What's limiting my belief that I can't play baseball? Well, I just never tried it. So I, I don't think that all weaknesses are necessarily limits. It's just that maybe you haven't put the effort in. And then the question then links back to who do you want to be? Because after understanding who you are, the next big chunk is defining your vision of who you want to be. And, and then you can say, well, I actually want to become a baseball player. And that can then link into who I want to be. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to have the dedication to get up before work hours so I can go train and do whatever it takes to become the expert in this other field that I've never done before because I know why I'm doing it because it's going to link into my vision of this future me of who I am and what I'm going to be known for. Yeah. Uh, earlier you mentioned typing skills and that, that was so interesting to me because it made me think of like, so what skills you, I would have never thought that, Oh, an executive all of a sudden. Yeah. It makes sense. What, what skills, what are, what are some of the skills that you think a modern leader needs? You know, which ones maybe are new, uh, like the typing you talked about, which is kind of an older one that was new yeah. at the time. Way old school. Yeah. 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 And then which ones do you think are hardest to learn and teach? Well, um, so I, I, I have this uh, framework uh, of five attitudes and skills that you, a modern leader really ha- needs to have. And the first is curiosity, but it needs to be capped curiosity. A lot of great leaders really interested in learning, but typically what we like to learn is what we want to learn, not necessarily what we need to learn. So you have to be prepared to go out and, and be uncomfortable and find things you don't know about. I'll give an example to make it come home. For example, I don't know what you use. Do you use Apple or do you use Android? Apple. All right. So now go get an Android and use it this evening. Okay. And when you need to do something important with it, you know, like maybe do a recording of a podcast or you send an important note, do you know how to use it perfectly? No. And so get, get, get into an uncomfortable zone and mm. practice doing that regularly. That's an easy one. The second one is humility. And the idea there is, is as curious as I am, as learned as I want to be, you have to have the humility to know that you don't know everything and that's mm-hmm. okay. And, and it, that furthermore helps you to understand with whom you can collaborate, who you need to work, work with and ask for help. Uh, because a lot of leaders kind of get this impression that I need to be, I need to know it all. I'm going to drive the whole vision. The third quality that I talk about is empathy. And, and there, along with humility, is the skill of listening. I've been doing for three years, uh, once a month, an empathy circle. And I invite four other executives who don't know each other. And in the process of a two-hour empathy circle, where the objective is to have active listening 
and, and understanding, you, they discover how poorly they listen and how amazing and powerful it is when you do listen, when you stop the monkey brain and you, and you lean in to what the other person is vehicling because they can be talking and then there's the emotions in the face, and the voice. So those who are just listening to this can listen to the timbre of my voice Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you can listen just to the timbre, shit's happening. And when you do that, you, A, you feel a connection with the others. It's an be- unbelievable thing. You, you feel seen, you feel heard, and therefore you tend to feel loved. And, and as an executive, that's what you should be doing. You should be showing up and having empathy, not all the time. Gosh, you can't be always empathic with everybody sure. every time, you know, but having empathy, uh, the, Fourth, I've got two more. Fourth is courage. Have the courage to stand up for what you believe and try not to try to believe in everything. The reason I say that is there's a trend right now. You've got to believe in this hashtag and that hashtag and, and save the world and save poverty and, and this and that. And you've got, you got a lot of things you can go get there. You need to have the courage to stand up for what you truly believe in. Mm-hmm. And that means you will stand out. There are risks involved. But that's, that's an important part of courage if there are more to that. And the final one I talk about is give without expecting in return. Ooh, I call that. it being karmic, which means that you have to have a sufficient confidence in your abilities and what you're projecting that it will come back to you. But don't be transactional. Move, move away from just being transactional to try to be bigger Obviously, you need to do transactions, right? So it's about being pragmatic in this approach. But on balance, think about what you're giving out to the world, not in a gratuitous, you know, overly philanthropic manner, but what are you giving out to the world and showing up, how are you showing up? And then things will come back. You know, that's how I have been. I've been podcasting since 2010, blogging since 2006. I, I ask for no money. Occasionally, people sponsor me, but that's not what I'm there and doing it for. I'm doing it because I want to show what I think. And, and people say sometimes, well, if you tell everybody what you think, then they won't hire you. Well, no, this is, but this is who I am. And if they don't want to hire me, then great. I've provided value. Yeah, so yeah. I, tr- I believe in that. I act on it. And so karmic is the fifth one. Those are beautiful. Um, I, so which I'm, I'm sure they're also in your book. And maybe so maybe we could lead into... Literally, you lead. Tell us about your latest book. What up? What in the, I'm, I'm sure there's some stuff we already talked about that obviously inspired you to write it. But uh, t- tell us all about it. Well, so I this is actually the book that was supposed to be the book of my life. I had this idea of writing a book. You know, we always say there's a screenplay in everybody, uh, that kind of stuff, or 50 minutes of fame, and everybody has a book in them. So this was supposed to be the book of my life, and I started writing it. Uh, I, I went off uh, for 10 days uh, to steal myself away. And I wrote 30,000 words uh, to write this book of my life, which is essentially how to, to be you and how to lead an entire life, a life being at work and at home. Because I think that's what real leadership is. It's, mm-hmm. at, it's, it's throughout. It's in your community. It's in your home. It's yourself and at work. And then one thing after another happened which led me to do my documentary World War II film and then a book and then a, another book and then another book. 
And each time, I mean, just to take the example of the film, that, that the reason why the film came out was only because I got a Skype message from a chap called Josh. It was just a small message. Hey, Minter, it's Josh. Do you remember me? And that happened while I was writing my book, this supposed book of my life. And it turned out I didn't remember Josh right away, but then he nudged me. We met 3 p.m. in Manhattan 13 years ago. I was a 23-year-old film student. You were a 37-year-old executive at L'Oreal. And it was a Tuesday afternoon, the 11th of September, 2001 in Manhattan. I was like, oh, that Josh. And he said, now I'm 37 years old. I've made three or four feature-length films. I want to do your film. And so what I mean is that some of these big things happen and all of a sudden they, they capture my energies and I ended up doing the film. By luck, it got onto PBS and I've had a whole journey in the Second World War and meeting veterans and, and discovering myself, my father, and what matters in life, which then became a, 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 an angular stone to the edifice that is this minter that I am today. And then I wrote my other books anyway. So You Lead really came out of this need to be more authentic. And, and, uh, and through it, I talk about my mistakes and how I started thinking I was doing what I was, I was being me. But no, I was just being a, you know, a numbskull 20-year-old. And then I was being more like a stressed 30-year-old. Kids, schools, mortgages, and all these other things. And I, and I certainly thought I was being me, but I realized I wasn't. And specifically, I realized that what I was doing was not that important. I was selling goddamn shampoos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's great to have good hair. But when in my office, I was overlooking the Twin Towers on that, that September, Tuesday morning, and I, I saw the first fireball out of my window and then watched the second airplane fly all the way down and in with my own eyes. Incredible. I realized that I had to do something that was more important. And so that, was, that began me, sort of projected me into a real vision of what is brand, what is purpose, and how do I lean into that? And so basically, I, I stayed with L'Oreal for, uh, from that point for about another seven years. And then afterwards, it's been all about trying to elevate the debate with others, bringing them into a, um, yeah, finding their energy, their mission, and, and hopefully a little bit along the way, uh, becoming better leaders and making the world a better place. So that's what this book's about. I have some tools I talk about. I, you know, I, I attempt to make it clear. How can you, pr practically speaking, figure out more about who you are, what's, what is important to you, and then making the decisions, which of course, some days you just have to do whatever you got to do. But other days, making sure every part of every day, sorry, <laughs> some part of every day, you're doing on mission, on purpose, and you feel better about yourself. And that's what I try to lay out in You Lead. It's interesting that you, uh, that that day, I mean, that day was very important to everybody in, in a lot of different ways. Um, but it, it, it changed you. And so one of the questions I like to ask, and it, and it really kind of made you focus in a different, different way and, and put things in perspective. So this, one of these last questions that I ask everybody is about perspective. So knowing what you know now, and, and if you could actually go back in time, let's say before you started in these marketing positions, what advice would you give yourself? Well, 
probably have the courage to dive into what I believed. What my observation, Lance, has been that the people who have been enlightened with this idea of doing stuff that's important, and sure, you still need money, right? So I'm not putting that away, but try to focus on other more intrinsic motivating factors rather than just having, you know, the three houses and 2.2 kids is, is, to, is to spend that time on figuring out who you are without needing, needing a near-death experience or some trauma that says, oh my gosh, actually life is short. Because when you're young, you kind of think that the horizon is endless. And, and also you think you're being authentic, you know, you, but you really only have had a few num- limited number of experiences. I mean, every 20 year old has had 20 years of experience, but practically speaking, it hasn't been autonomous and, and it's in construction and in relationship with others and, and you inevitably growing with part of that. So to the younger mentor, I would say, have the courage to jump in. I, I use, I'll tell you another little story. I often I like to riff on. I, when I was working at the, at the investment bank in New York, I was back in the eighties. So I don't know if you've read any of those sort of uh, wall street stories, but that's, that's what it was mm-hmm. um, with all sorts of um, finagling and, and big egos. Um, but I, I, I would come home with my tie and my suit and I, we, I would go in very early because we were up with the beginning of the market and we'd end reasonably early, sort of like 5.30 hours at home. That was the benefit of beginning it at 6.30. But then uh, getting home at 5.30, I'd rush in, I'd strip off my tie, I'd take off my wonderful Brooks Brothers shirt or whatever I was wearing. And, and underneath, I then would don a tie-dye. You know, mm-hmm. one of those funky hippie looking shit, which mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the image of the banker. And I might go off to a concert and... and and shake my bones for five hours at this concert with lots of other hippie looking fellows and women. And then I, next day I shower, shave, put on my tie and go back. And so what I recognized at one point was that I, I can't consolidate or I haven't consolidated in me the tie mentor and the tie dye mentor. And so it's about being able to live with the grateful dead loving a little bit hippier, less cut and dry, perfect outfit, smart man, and a little bit more docile, that mentor. Allow those to combine, to merge into the one individual as opposed to try to separate them, the professional and the personal. And so that's been my journey is to, is to bring those two together. And it didn't happen right away. But if I could speak to mentor, I'd say, hey, listen, 20-year-old mentor, let it be and work with it and understand that it's not going to please everybody, yeah. but you will be a stronger person for it down the road. Yeah. And you'll be authentic. You talked about authenticity and we think we have it, but we don't have it. And, and then it all comes from knowing yourself and letting it blend. That, that was a beautiful answer, Mentor. I've had, I've had probably a hundred guests on so far uh, on this segment, in this episode, and, and you, you, that was one of the best ones I've heard so far. Um, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time. There's been so many nuggets of knowledge that you've dropped on, on us and our listeners. And I, and I hope that they will follow up and want to take a look at your book, take a look at you, hopefully maybe see you in person sometime um, as, you, as, you're, as you're a professional speaker. So if people are listening and they want to find and follow you on social media, any other place, wh- where can they go? Well, if, if you're a listener, you're, you, I hope you're 
you know, enjoying the listen. Um, I've got an audio version of uh, several of my books, and so you can continue listening. Uh, I, I narrated two of them. One of them was narrated by a kind other soul. Um, otherwise, uh, you can find me on most social media rather easily because I have a parentally given weird name, uh, Minter Dial, which uh, .com, M-I-N-T-E-R-D-I-A-L, which is my basic hub where I write blog podcast. And I also am usually M-Dial um, at, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and various other TikTok, that kind of stuff. I, 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 the benefit of having gotten on early on most of these things, I can nab a small little yeah. handle. Uh, that's me. Voila. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Minter. I wish you nothing but the best. Um, thank you for your time today. This has been great. It's been my pleasure, Lance. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Toodles. Toodles. <laughs>